0: tonight's episode of three wise dms the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this <laughs> for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be
1: i'm thorne and i'm joined by tony there's too many men too many people making too many problems not enough love to go around <laughs> <laughs> the Land of Confusion. Oh, yeah. What's up, Genesis? Bring it back. Yeah, it it's like 87 or something. I, I thought
2: you were talking about my plot, but okay. <laughs>
1: I think the Bruce <laughs> That Bruce is key. also the... That's the soundtrack to Storm King's Thunder as well, as brought <laughs> by DM Tony. Oh,
2: I swear. Of- I'm going to wrap up every plot line just as well as Game of Thrones did it. I got this. Land of Confusion. Cool. It's setting that low bar, huh?
0: That little limbo bar, you got to hop over there. That is a great segue to what tonight's episode is, because we are talking about what does happen when you have a lot of players at the table, DMing for, I would say, five or more, six or more players. Uh, You know, a lot of the advice out there is that you should only have, you really want to play DM with like three to four players, maybe a fifth, but we do a lot of our games six, seven, eight players. So tonight, we're going to look into how that can become a, as Dave put it, land of confusion, and also our tips for making sure it doesn't, making sure everyone still has fun at the table. So, guys, let's start off with, what's the biggest game you think you ever DM'd?
2: Ooh. I mean, for one shot, or I mean a campaign? I'll take both. uh um, greedy that way. I'm going to say biggest at one time was probably around 12. Well, Campaign uh, I'm thinking like 8 to 9. Yeah. So I think I've done I've definitely done 8.
0: I might have done 10 for like a one-time thing. I've done 8 several times. I will say it starts getting tricky once you get past your like your six player. Like 6 is kind of where you start running into some that is the beginning of big game problems in my experience. Mm. Uh, what about you, Dave?
1: Yeah, I uh, same. I've been. Uh, I know I've definitely done eight. I don't think I've done more than that. I don't if i remember if I can remember, and I don't believe I have. But eight would probably have been the the top end of it.
0: I mean, even even the ones we're playing now are pretty big. Woodstock Wanderers has currently six players and was up to uh, seven at one point. Even well, had an back, eighth at one it's,
1: point. It's back to seven now.
0: Right, that's true. It is now that Tony's joined the game. We're back up yeah. to seven. Mm. Uh, Storm King Thunder is what six. Five. Five players. uh, Well,
1: it's strong, uh, we have six going.
0: Yeah. And that's just with the with the current games that we're currently playing. So I mean it's pretty easy. You know, once you get playing and you have some friends who want to join, it is just really easy to hit like yeah, you kind of usually start off with like your four or so players and then well you got this friend who wants to play and that friend wants to play. You don't want to say no to anyone. I mean I, I really like to let everyone play who can. But you know, it gets a little confusing at that point. Like what do you find what do you guys find happens when you start getting six plus players?
2: Well, you know, we're talking about the sweets uh, of five to six players. I mean, those are some real rookie numbers. I mean, you got to boost them up and have like a solid seven, eight players. <laughs> in my experience, somebody's backstory is going to slip through the cracks. Mm. You're going to have someone come to you in the level four and they're like, "So, we ever going to do my backstory? Anything? I I sent you that that article." That link to my story and that sonnet I wrote with that, you know, that art, I I say, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, the dwarven prince. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I got this. Uh, Yeah. uh, Next game. But yeah, no, I, I found that somebody... Some backstories get a lot of attention, and then some really just go off the farm.
0: Some of my players are here like, you guys are getting backstory adventures?
1: <laughs> well, that, that very much has to do with the with the DM and the style, as we've talked about uh, pretty much every episode now. But just to, we should probably just clarify, though, because this is actually, it's a bit more specific, right? Because mm. uh, it, this was from a listener, right, that came in, uh, Dan from Illinois, I think. And he was specifically talking about running this, uh, he was he's currently running Lost Minds of Fandelver, uh, and he has, I think, six players, and he's noticing that as they're starting to gather some stuff, because uh, as we know, Watsy's uh, initial adventures like to throw out some candy to make the game really, really fun, um, he's starting to find that his players are just blasting through anything he throws at him. So he's like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? um and that that rung very true for me because for me that's where it really starts to become more of an issue not as much backstory and stuff even though i understand what tony's saying but uh more about finding that ability to challenge the party without running into uh an interminable interminable slog of like you know two-hour combats or um just that they're just they're easy boating the whole damn adventure, or you just throw something so heavy out there that it just straight out kills them. And then that's not yeah. fun either. you know.
0: Well, I think we can probably, you know, we can itemize what are some of the problems you run into. And I think to me, there's three things that you run into that can be difficult with groups with a lot of players. Once you start getting you know, over, you know, once you get up to six players and above one is what Tony brought up is that you can't really, it becomes more difficult to serve everyone's story especially if they're coming in with, if, if none of their stories are combined. Like sometimes you'll have a group come in where like two of them are brother, or sister, or they have some kind of, you know, co-backstory. But if you're trying to get to six backstory stories, I think you can do it. It's easier to incorporate that this many players with a low background, high high forward focus kind of campaign. I mean, I do tend to do campaigns and I'm like, okay, well, here's a situation you're in, go. What do you do? And that, in some ways, is better with a lot of players because if everyone's got this deep backstory, it's hard to get to them all. Mm. Two. So that's 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 one issue. The second issue is, I think, you know, Dave, what you brought up here, which is the balance issue. Once you throw more players in the game, it throws off your balance. The players are bringing a lot more heat. They're bringing a lot more, especially if you're going against, like, a solo. Well, now the solo has to endure six attacks instead of just four (laughs) attacks, Yeah. you know, or eight attacks instead of five attacks. And that is, that will chew through hit points like nothing. And I don't care if you've got, you know, there's a lot of things you can have on, stone skins, protections. The more turns that players are taking between a fewer bad guys' turns the more chances they have to whittle away defenses and just make a big bad go down in like one round. You know, that is how you yeah. can, you know, big bad rolls low on initiative and boom, all seven party members get to attack and he is now a flaming pile of ashes by the time, you know, by the time the first round's over.
1: You, you become know, very versed uh, in the, uh, you become very versed in the concept of action economy and how that matters. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, we could talk about that. Some video games, I would I would say legendary actions help with that. And some some uh, board games have mechanics like that, where no matter how many players you have, you have an equal number of actions for whatever they're playing against.
1: Yeah.
0: But the other thing is, uh, you know, what Tony was, uh, or, or or actually, no, I'm sorry. So the third thing is is something I'll throw out there, which is table management. The more players mm. you have. The more your turns bog down, the more your combats bogged down and then especially Dave, like you say, if you start trying to up the monster count because you 're now dealing with having to deal with more players, well that makes it it, it, it bogs it down exponentially because now, for every yeah. new player, you have another monster turn to take, so you have even you have twice as many you 're adding twice as much time. To the turn order, and these are all you know. These are the three big things that I find make it difficult to DM large groups mm-hmm. sometimes. And maybe mm-hmm. if you can add a fourth, kind of tied to that last one, you are kind of the 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 addendum to that third one, is you'll get you tend because things are slower and because there's longer time between turns, you tend you can get more table talk, you can get more players who aren't paying attention. Because there's a bigger group and more going on and it's taking a while to get to them. We've seen that in some of our games. I would argue that happened sure. a little bit in the Slaver's Bay game.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's actually, to tell you the truth, uh, the Slaver's Bay campaign was uh, a real um, crucible for me to uh, begin to understand how do I manage that. Especially when I had some players in on that table that were experienced players. Because that will change it as well. Uh, because they know how to use their characters. They know how to use battlefield and tactics and strategies. You know, they can think through it in a way that players newer to the game are not going to be able to, and you'll just run rough shot over them a lot of times, you know? So yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause we had what, we had seven players in on that one, right?
1: Yeah. We had seven and then down to six and then we brought uh, another player back in. One of the players had to have to leave. And, uh, yeah. So we had seven, seven full, I believe
0: yeah and it did and that one kind of had all i mean any game that gets that big can have these issues but in particular that one or one ran into that issue of one the party some of the members of the party i gotta admit i'm partially guilty for this we're like we're like power gaming you know we were really going out there and playing the combats to the hill and trying to figure out okay how can i get maximum advantage this is the one i was playing i was playing a moon path uh druid so you know you're yeah. talking you know you know, wolf druid and bear druid and who then did we take a, a
1: dip in barbarian as well yes yes
0: <laughs> <Nyan laughs> I bear druid and then you had uh, but then we also had a couple other players who were really at it coming at it from the kind of the the min max point of view yeah and so yeah the party number one we would we could wipe things out very quickly if he didn't slow us down and then two there was some table talk there there were some there, that was a that was a game where sometimes a couple guys at the end of the table weren't paying attention to what was going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, well, not
2: not the DM's fault. One real advantage that Roll20 has and combat can drag no matter where you are. Combat's dragged four players. It can drag with uh, eight players. But with Roll20, I found one of the real gems about this is there's less table talk. And that's, <laughs> and that's something you would absolutely see. Like, people are like, ooh, let me show you this video. Ooh, let me send you this link. Oh, are you <laughs> listening to this song? Like, when I did my last campaign uh, that was in person that Thorne was part of, that was all the time. People were getting drinks. People go going to the yeah. bathroom. You know, they're coming in and out. Oh, the food's here. I mean, there was just actually the other game I was playing with Scott. Like, the kids are coming in. Like, oh, hey, where's the pizza? Here's the pizza. Would you like to slice of my pizza? I'm like, here's $20. Leave me alone.
1: You know? <laughs> hey, say, that I'm, I'm a little guilty of that myself. I will definitely get up and go to the bathroom and get a drink and stuff, but. I'm always listening, though. I'm always now, listening. Now, that's okay,
2: but it, it, it's when you, there's, a, there's a very dis, dis, discernible difference between, like, hey, someone's getting up, going to the bathroom, or making a coffee, and coming back to, like, there's two people having a conversation at the end of the table. It has nothing to do with what you're doing. Yeah, and absolutely. Later, they're going to argue with you and, with the details of the game that they weren't paying attention
1: to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that is a good point. That is a good point.
2: And then sometimes they'll
0: come back and blame you for, well, I wasn't here for that. <laughs> Well, we're I, yes, all supposed so you, to be here. <laughs> no, you weren't there. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> and you know, it's uh, it, that is absolutely true. In some ways, roll twenty makes us easier. As far as it cuts down on the table crosstalk, and I think any, I think that's true in any virtual tabletop. I don't think that's just a Roll20 thing. On the other hand, you know, they're at home and they have a lot of other distractions. So who knows, you yeah. know, as you know, so long as you're yeah. paying attention. And also, I will say, combat still runs a little slow in Roll20. I will definitely take my turn and sometimes be checking my phone, paying attention. I'm still there in front of the screen. I'm still watching what people are doing. But it's like, how much longer is it going to be until it comes back to you, right? I mean, that's just part of the Roll20 thing, but I'm not getting a conversation with someone else on the table at the same time.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if the combat is taking a little longer, then here's the age-old problem. You get a big party. What are you going to throw at them that you're not going to dust them or Mm. they're not going to baby-mode their way through it? Or there's a combat that feels like, you know, you're sitting through a movie. What's the answer? And the answer is within your monster lineup. You can adjust these monsters to put more potent... Monsters don't. I mean, I'd say I've kind of from 2020, I have moved away. I've pivoted away from dropping the one enormous monster on the table. I've kind of deviated from that role. Maybe we should have like three tough monsters, something to that effect. That kind of shakes it up. Also, if you only have three monsters on the table, then it speeds up combat because players don't aren't dealing with 17 monsters. have less decisions to make
1: tony would you say that that because partly with 2020 you said with the uh not going with the big solo boss monster kind of number is that partly because you're running even though you're running only about 10 percent of it or whatever i get it but is it because you're running something like storm king's thunder that has set up some of these some of these encounters to be something like the viking ship with 17 frost giants on it right is it is it partly because of that or what?
2: I, I have to during my experience at last year, um, you know, with all this great gaming that we have an opportunity to do. That was something I kind of picked up on by accident, mm. and and I'm, wa- I'm just watching the mechanics work. At where I'm throwing out more monsters than I typically would. Uh, I've just kind of changed my configuration and. You can do that where you could throw out some heavy, a large grouping of heavy monsters for that epic battle, but it can't be frequently. That's when it becomes mundane. Like, okay, great. Now we're fighting ten fire giants. Either you're going to be, you're going to stay on the ground, or it's taking forever because these things each have like 150 hit points. That's right. You're you're
0: fighting the fire giant blood bowl team. Right. <laughs> <Like> fire the storm <laughs> into the... The Frost yeah. Giant you know, Blood Bowl team coming out. Here's the kicker. He's going to punt you over the uh, roof of the longhouse.
1: It's, yeah. uh, I forget what the commercial was for. I remember they ran it in the middle. It was a Super Bowl halftime uh, commercial, I think, years ago. And it was like a, a football team from like the 30s with the leather helmets. They're like, yeah. all right, guys, let's do this. We're going to take them. And they run out on the field, and they're looking at a current NFL team. It's like just these <laughs> massive giants of men, and they're just like, <laughs> we're going to give them the business real yeah, picture we're going to really show them today Stevie
0: real picture of us from Storm King Thunder right there yeah right right it's like there are so many frost giants on this ship that if we win this battle it could be classified as a genocide like we're either going to lose here or losing the hate <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tony I will say that uh, that is one of the things that I uh, would say too in regards to this because a lot of times when I think what brings a lot of this this idea up about like the difficulty with monster uh, types and amounts and and challenges is when D&D and and things like Pathfinder went to this idea of like a challenge rating or a difficulty rating, uh, where they tried to make this, okay, if you had four players of this level, then this level of monster should be a challenge for them idea, which is awesome on paper. And with a party of four players, probably works give or take, right? Hmm. But fifth and sixth, seventh players immediately throws all of that out. So I've found that as well that uh just looking at not looking anymore at uh CRs of their level, but now I'm looking at levels two, three, four, five times higher. Especially with the uh with the Stroud group, when you guys came and uh faced off Baba La Saga. Um I don't know why I said it like that, but that was I weird. Would say it much worse. Yeah. Uh, Baba La Saga. Yeah. Or no, you know, pasta lasagna. That's what we're we we that's what there. we're gonna go with. Um pasta lasagna. But she is a CR11 creature. And the hut Jesus. and the scarecrows, right? Um so but you guys still handled yourselves against some heavy heavy hitters so there's there's a learning of what can this party take by kind of throwing out heavier and heavier things at them but i would definitely for people out there start looking at things well past the cr that you think you should be
0: well i think there can be uh i think we can put some rules of thumb there mm-hmm. i know for me when i'm because the whole idea behind cr from my understanding was that you know the, the the CR rating, uh, you know, one can pro- can potentially kill a level one character with one shot. So I was thinking with that in mind, that this is your hard cap. You don't go over their level, but you might fill in with some other things. I have found if you have six players, you can yeah. probably go two CR levels above the party level. Yeah. With And then with some other junk on the table just to kind of spread things around some. If you go more than that, you can go three levels. I want to go – I haven't gone five yet. I'll also say – the level of danger is not consistent. The monster manual mon- monsters, in my experience, were much easier fights than uh, Xanthar's monsters. Uh, no, Volos got... Volos, Volos, yeah, Volos, yeah. definitely, Which yeah. is Part of what re- led to the red cap incident we've talked about so much, because I had played... You guys had fought against some CR2 monsters from the monster manual, and then the red caps came in, and the red caps are much tougher. Like, they're yeah. like... They have a multi-attack. It's, they can basically do enough damage in one round to kill a level 2 character easily and that was part of what threw me off because so i'm like well hey you know from the monster manual i was ready for this we start throwing in these secondary these monsters from expansions and they do tend to i think i have found especially in volos Watsy picked up the difficulty like well, the it,
1: that, yeah with that too with like the red caps like if you had thrown two into mm-hmm. us that would be a hard fight you know as opposed to six that's when it went when you were going one-on-one kind of number I will say one thing that I have found though, when in regards to if you are using a system that uses CR or something like that, uh, there are a lot of websites out there. The one I will oftentimes go to just as a reference to see what is this looking like is the Kobold Fight Club. Um, you can just Google it in. It's an easy calculator. You put in the level, the number of players, and you can build the encounter and it'll go from easy to medium, hard, deadly. And what I've found is throw it until it's deadly. And then the deadly ones are the ones (laughs) that- That's just spirit. (laughs) No, but to tell you the truth, the deadly ones are the ones that actually give the party a little something to push against, you know? Mm. Whereas the medium and hard ones kind of, you know. But again, Thorne, like you said too, depending on the monster, some things are like a CR3 and that shit will kill you. Like everyone, like a Banshee or something. Then she'll come out and yell and everybody's on the fucking ground because they failed their (laughs) save, right? So- I you know
0: the thing with and there's a lot of criticism about CR rating out there. The thing is to me it's not a new thing. They had hit dice in the earlier editions. Yeah. Like hit like there was always a way of judging approximately what level is this monster and therefore what level should I put against it. Now hit dice did not have that. They have tried to take it a step further with CR. But I don't know that I use CR any different than I ever used Hit Dice. Like, there, it's a little, the calculation's a little different. I recognize that. Right. But I kind of approach it the same way, and that's probably why I haven't really, other than the Red Cap situation, which was just me misunderstanding the system. And also, <laughs> I would say, Bolo's monsters being tougher than MM monsters. Like for the most part, I haven't had a hard time with oh well, I'm dis- I'm disappointed about how tough that monster was. That doesn't really come up in my games very often. Right. If, if the players roll a monster, it's probably because I put it in there. Like it's probably supposed to be an easy encounter. So maybe it's just because I haven't changed my mindset. I really approach them like hit dice. You know, I don't really, I don't, I don't use. I guess I don't approach the rules very rigidly. And that applies too when I, when I have a lot of players in the game. Go ahead, Tony?
2: There. You think the CR system's got some issues. All right, well, hold on to your chair. Um, Original 1E had an internal level system that probably nobody really remembers. So, of course, Mm. you had hit Mm dynast, that's correct. But there was a Roman numeral attached to the bottom of the monster if you looked at all its stats. So, for example, a kobold... Yeah. Might have like Roman numeral one. Yeah, like was. maybe, you know, I'm just gonna throw this out there. This isn't exact, maybe a ghoul's like a two or three. And then like an archdevil's a ten. And they broke up every monster between a one and a ten. It was very similar to how the Ghostbusters did their class <laughs> spirit rating. They're like, oh no, it's a nine, Egon. Well then you're fucked. If it's a nine, it's time to move. Did that carry through to second? I don't remember
0: that in second edition. I don't so. believe so. I don't no.
1: think it did. I do remember I remember in the Monster Manual, it did have that though. I don't think I ever understood what it was exactly, but yeah.
0: Uh the Crystal Clear Communication, the first edition.
2: Yeah, no, like they had monsters in the c- a category ten that had a real disparity. Like you'd see some things like an Iron Golems seven or like a Beholder would have a really high rating, and then they'd have like a, a Lord of Hell or <laughs> yeah, not a, a a Demon Prince. What was the rating under a demon? Well, you board. had the you had the devil. No, it was Demon Lord. Excuse me. Yeah, there we go. Demon well, Lord. It- and what was the devil type?
0: There were like the um, the balor was like a type nine demon or something. How do we used to do that?
2: No, no. I mean, hypothetically, while the balor was a t- this is where it gets really the shits on the ceiling here. In this <laughs> that's a type six demon, but it right. had more like a at a higher rating, so it was probably like an eight as far as monsters go. <laughs> Using the Spectre detective. Okay, we're getting way right. off topic. So
1: it's not it's not anything new, as Thorin was saying. It's it's been a thing. I think they just would try to maybe um, crystallize it more once like third edition came out and and forward from there. You
0: yeah. know, I would say crystallize it, and they in some ways came to over rely on it. Once yeah. he has really tried to make this a, a, a very easy system that you can theoretically at a glance balance your encounters mm. and what we found again and again I'll say even a fourth edition I saw this I talked a little bit about guard drakes in fourth edition guard drakes would, yeah. would just just fuck your party up knock a guy down and take him right out played at level appropriately. And at the same time, you combine them with the uh, there was a, like a like a Drake swarm, like a tiny little like like mini Canada, like the can't compy kind of dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. Both
0: of these things were absolutely deadly beyond their beyond their challenge rating. It's constantly been a problem because once you start throwing a lot of different monsters in there, some powers are hard to qual to quantify yes. their qualitative differences. And you know, in some ways, that the problem isn't the idea of trying this. It's the idea of selling it in the book as this is the solution. You just do this, and it's simple because it's just never simple.
1: No, it's it's at best a uh, a guide to help you along the way. So then,
0: but... so how do you balance encounters then for a large parties? I have some ideas, Dave. You mentioned that you kind of you pitch way above the uh,
1: the CR rating. Well, not always, not always, but that's one of the things I've been because as I've said, I've been running. Um, Because my 2020 has pretty much been taken up by running Strahd, right? Running the Strahd group. So I've been generally running it by the book, right? As we've been saying. So most of the encounters, I keep them as the book kind of has. But what I have seen, as you guys have been going through it, is things that I were like, oh, my God, this is going to be a steamroll on them. You handled yourself, you know, and then some other times maybe it was a little tougher where something I thought wouldn't go would would be a little easier. Like I remember uh, when you guys got into the catacombs of the the death house, the Durst Manor, the ghouls that came out of the walls. But that was a tactical thing. Right. Because you were in the hallways. So you could not you could not, you know, run formation. You all were screwed. You were all stuck. You were you know, pinned out by ghouls coming through the walls. And the second time that happened as well was at the um, Yester Hill when the lightning is striking, the berserkers are coming out, the druids are doing this, Strahd's over here. So there was no way for you to, you you even said this, Thorin, between that and the town square, you had nowhere to, to bundle up, you know. So that changed it as well. Um, so a couple things I, I realized from that. One, you can definitely throw some heavier stuff at the party. Just be careful. Like, I wasn't throwing, you know, I wasn't firing Power Word Kill down from, from Lysaga's ship, you know, because for me, for a level six, seven party, I felt that was a little on the dick move side, you know? Did she have Power Word Kill? Uh, she has that or Power Word Stun. I couldn't remember. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look. But I had a plan of what she was planning on doing, and it just didn't go well, you know. So that happens. Whatever.
0: So, somewhere, Bob lasaga's ghost is in is in Barovia, waiting to be reborn, like cursing Dave the Dungeon Yeah, Man. being like, and why didn't look you like, do this? Why didn't you use
1: this? God damn it! What's done. One stun on a blasted barbarian. But my second is so you can definitely throw heavier hitters out there, knowing that you're throwing heavier hitters out there, so be cognizant of that fact. But second is something Thorin you talk about all the time, which is uh, controlling the battlefield, which is battlefield tactics. Using the map and using it in three dimensions. Using things that fly. Using things that, that are melee fighters. Using ranged attacks. Using... Right? Like not giving the party one thing to just fire in on.
0: Which of course means you don't have the big classic solo, all of us against one of you encounter. Uh You know, that's kind of the trade off there. You don't, if you're, I mean, and that's, we've talked about that with Tony before, because, you know, Tony, you've always been a big fan of that, hey, I've got one giant monster coming at you kind of encounter. I tend to break that up and use a lot of, not a lot of different monsters, but I will say when I come at an encounter, I am actively thinking about okay, how am I challenging the the, the melee guys? How am I challenging the ranged guys? How yeah. am I doing like how am I making it interesting for everyone else? You could argue, in fact, I would argue lately I've maybe overdone it because I don't know if every encounter should be done that way. You know there is there there is a lot of logic to making to to giving your players, you know like a couple easy encounters for every hard encounter. You know, yeah. and an easy encounter isn't just about CR rating. It's also like I'm wanting easy encounter. I remember the party really enjoyed, even if it was a little boring for me, was against a roper. So they were in a they were they were in a cavern, walking over, uh, yeah. and the ropers on the other side of the bridge. And there's piercers falling from the ceiling, which in this edition are, are considered basically uh, larval ropers. And the party with um, a freezing ray and ranged attacks were basically able to take out the Roper without allowing it to advance close enough to, to, to attack them. And it was like, okay, it's kind of in some ways a little bit of a boring encounter, but the party really enjoyed having him at a distance and being able to do their thing. And, yes. you know, the Ropers, and the, the, I'm sorry, the Piercers still made it a little interesting because there's still things falling on them. The party starts trying to surgically take them out too. And that, you know, having a couple encounters like that and then one encounter where the bad guys kind of flip the field is a good idea. Now, you know, to bring this back to how you plan this for large parties, I tend to break down, as I was just saying, I tend to break down the party into groups when I'm thinking about what am I doing with an encounter and I will try to put something out there that's going to be attacking the melee guys or dealing with the melee guys, something that's going to be attacking the ranged people. It doesn't need to be a direct attack, but something to at least shake it up a little so they can't just sit there and tee off on, on, on whatever the melee guys are holding in place. You know, just put some things on the battlefield to make it dynamic. They could be flyers. They could be things coming in, like spiders dropping in behind the party is something I always like to do. Or maybe there's a flanking, like if they're fighting like goblins or something kind of small military kind of things or like pseudo-military, like tribal, having them fighting the big boss and then having archers coming from behind to start shooting the soft targets is a good way to kind of make sure people get up and start moving and start moving around and making some decisions. So, you know, uh, could be runners, too. A lot of times you got fast units that can blitz around the, the, the front line guys and get to the back or, you know, flyers or it could just be ranged. Attacking the back with direct range fire. Maybe they're, they're, they're meeting kind of head-to-head, and you're letting the offensive and defensive lines square off while archers shoot the spellcasters. That kind of thinking where you're hitting the party at multiple levels makes a large fight more interesting. The problem is you can slow it down,
2: you know, and you gotta, you got to balance that. Uh, we could talk a lot about uh, how this uh, applies to combat, but also with a large group, something I want to throw out there is scene control. And in a situation where you've got eight players floating around, you're going to have them all fighting for airtime. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's definitely a potential pitfall.
0: And the other flip side of that is the players who don't fight for airtime will tend to drop completely off the map,
2: get disengaged. Yeah. And yet have to circle back around to them as the DM and say, OK, so what are you doing? Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, 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 thank you, Ranger. That was fantastic. You shot, you shot the giant in the eye and then pierced his ear. Uh, Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, Cleric, what are you doing? And you have to really just break it apart and not let these people get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. You know,
0: I had some problems with that in a recent game because we have, like we're saying, we have like seven people in the party now, seven players in the party. And, you know, we were in a spot that was particularly important to one of the players and, and so that player is, you know, talking to kind of the, he he's, you know, it's a paladin talking to the leader of his order, but it did become hard to get the other, to, to, to find places to engage the other players and also hard to kind of get the paladin to give up airtime so other players can get a word in. Not that he wasn't doing his stuff. I mean, he was role-playing. It was, it was, it was good. And I wanted that, but there's this balance between, okay, letting that part that player who's, mm-hmm. who, who's seen this is shine without letting them shine for so long, the other members can't get in there, especially when there's like seven other members. Because it becomes that, you know, you might, it's when there's like three or four people in the in the party, yeah, usually they all chime in at some point. Someone makes a joke, someone goes to something else, someone contributes to whatever's the, 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 whatever the main focus of the scene is. When it's six, it's like, okay, maybe two other members get involved, but you still have half the parties not doing anything. It's just very hard to kind of mix
2: them in. Any tips for that? That is really fine line you need to walk walk there and i have to tell you i as a dm have made mistakes where i've cut people's scenes too short and they were like the fuck like you know this is my moment i came out of my trailer i got dressed up i rehearsed my lines and now you're pulling me off the stage with a cane well it's tough and the tip i'd throw that there is he kind of comes back to, and we should make an official list of certain rules that we've kind of coined as phrases here as the mm-hmm. One What is knowing the room? And you got to kind of look around this room and go, okay, is everybody looking at the their, their rock in the scene? Is this cool? They're like, yeah, man. Like, you're nailing this. Or they're like, okay, well, I've checked my email on my phone. Hmm. You know, maybe I'd make it a streaming other game in here to watch at the same time. Then you kind of have to nudge it along.
1: Well, there's uh, in in terms of when we're talking about like the role play portion of things, it's social encounters with large parties. Something that we have now all done at some point in the games uh, when we're running them is when we've seen that happening. Not all the time. There are times where we completely have people falling through the cracks. Shit happens. Mm. But we've, in essence, turned it into turn order. Okay, yeah. what are you doing? Okay, what are you saying? Okay, what are you saying? Okay, what are you saying? Allowing everyone to then put their point in, or if there's just a ton of over talking, like when they're trying to plan, you know, noticing that and breaking it out and saying, okay, you, 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 and just going, you know, left to right around the table or yeah. left to right on the screen, right? Yeah, to give everybody at least the chance to say something do something
0: yeah i think what i ran into a little bit was i did that i did that a a couple times actually but half the party like wasn't didn't have anything to add to what was going on yeah no absolutely. So it's like all right so it's like i gotta wrap this up but getting it to wrap up was getting to be you know it's just hard to kind of push it along
1: now what i will say too in terms of that and we've talked about this and this is something that i've seen tony do as well is when you are trying to hit those points where like tony you were saying that it's hard to get everyone's backstory in or in essence everyone to have a point of spotlight that the story is now okay like you've stepped forward and you're kind of leading the bunch for however long right and then someone Mm -hmm. else understanding that you can get that to happen and there are going to be certain sessions where that player, it's going to be kind of their session in a a little bit, you know? Like, I went into this, uh, the Woodstock game, this one coming after the Christmas game that we had, um, understanding that, that we were literally heading to Sir Morton's order of paladins. Our whole point was that we were hoping to uh, help him complete his mission, but then also, who knows, rally the troops, or, right, do something. Um, So, absolutely the onus was on Tom to be that. But I, I understand what you were saying too, Thorn, where you kind of then wanted it to then spread, especially like when we sat down to dinner and we were t- uh, breakfast and we were talking with the, uh, you know, with the, the head of the order and everything. Um, and I felt like there was some of that, but yeah, I, I could see the, 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 a little like, well, where do I go with this? Either wrap it up or I need to do something here. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, So I attempted to kind of throw certain things in to shake it up, but it just, you know, it didn't, you
0: know, and you find yourself in a situation where some party members just aren't like, you can just tell it's not even a matter of wanting to move the scene along uh, independently. It's that you can tell, okay, some, some people here are very bored and that's one of the trickier things with a hard party is it can be harder to entertain everybody, which is what we've kind of something we've been dancing around a little bit here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The smaller groups, it's you're right there. Everyone is boom, 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 you know, especially it live, too. We have talked about that, uh, yeah. the virtual tabletops, that it it brings a lot of advantage. It brings specific disadvantages, and part of that is the inner communication that you would usually have at the table. Yeah, so how do you,
2: the players would speak up versus get kind of swept over in the Roll20 situation, which is super easy. Yeah. Literally. So how do you
0: encourage everyone to kind of st- step in and have their say, even when they feel a little bit drowned out by the party? And, you know, some players also specifically will kind of wallflower a little more in a big party.
2: I think really the most you can control as the DM is to make sure that they have a turn. And if there's not an opportunity that's obvious, like how the scene ties into their character their backstory and or their personality then let them come up with something and then see if anything happens and everybody doesn't have to be involved in the act a hundred percent of the time yeah i think actually that's something that the marvel game does really well which is there's times where one person's got this and i'm like go (laughs) handle this you (laughs) rewire that panel because you know what I barely know it's a (laughs) (laughs) panel.
1: Let me know when I need to punch something into the ceiling.
2: (laughs) Then I got
0: you, but yeah. Um, I'm here for the punching.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will say I don't find it, um, you know, during combat, I don't don't think that that's the issue in in that way where um, anyone's going to get lost. Uh, With combat, it it turns more into how quick can you get around the table so someone's not waiting, you know, 10 minutes until their next turn. Okay, I just shot— firebolt now i gotta wait you know 10 minutes to do something again Mm -hmm. um but everyone gets their turn then and it's very it's very delineated but yeah the role play part so some of what i will do is especially if it's npc interaction and we're talking i will oftentimes throw something the way you would in a conversation if you walked into a shop this big motley band of, of crazy looking adventurers this shopkeeper would probably be mentioning things about all of them or talking to some of them and saying, oh, well, what about you? So I attempt to do that. to Like I usually say, even with adventure hooks or backstory stuff, I'll throw it out there. And the wallflowers can continue to be wallflowers, but they at least get the the, the chance or opportunity to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm this, that and the other thing um yeah. mm. and then you're always you're always gonna have that one player who is the face of the party you just can't get around it it's just gonna happen you know a lot of that is is the type of character that they're playing but then also the player you know for the Strahd game it's very much Phineas it's your character right you're you're the charismatic changeling um a warlock right it makes sense and that's also somewhat your personality too you don't mind talking at the table right someone's got um, yeah yeah you don't have a problem i right?
0: don't mind talking at the table at the podcast microphone in public and private all the time right.
1: no yeah way. um in tony's game roderick is the bard so a lot of times i'm saying things but we have started to branch that out I I'm, I'm, I'm glad you know where other people are saying okay no I'm gonna take this one you know uh, but every there's always gonna be one or two players that are gonna be your big role players I
2: think it's a, a very solid point do either of you guys find situations where in these large parties that players have overlapping characters, like dwarves or paladins, and where their stick is just too identical, or those two
1: guys that are just so lawful good that Mister Rogers is like knocking off. Well, there was the one one I ran where it was seven dwarves that were all related that <laughs> were trying to take back their <laughs> mountain home from a dragon. That, but they had the, so
0: that 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 pretty that pretty roommate, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> There was uh and and <laughs> Euling <Off blingin'>. and
0: <laughs> Yep. I have had uh, players in part in the game that had similar characters. I haven't really found it to be an issue. Uh, I have I, seen situations, uh, Tony, you and I both have, where a player felt it was an issue. But no, to me as a DM, uh, the challenge is more a matter of how am I going to engage them, especially in encounters. And will I have to make up for something someone's not covering with like loot I give or whatever, or whatever I'm going to do or, or get them to do. But I don't mind the idea. Like I wouldn't mind the all bard party. I also wouldn't mind the all monk you party. That, the all no. fighter party. Oh, I yeah. think it's fine.
1: You know, no, I, I would, I, there's a lot that I would be into to do one of those. Like they're all from a guild and they're all like the same type of class because even in the same class, like, it's still the that person playing that character, and they're going to approach it differently. So I, I myself don't have a problem with overlapping at all.
0: But even even if they approach it the same way, is there a problem with having a Merry and Pippin in your party? You know, what I mean, it's common <laughs> in the literature at least, in, in, in TV, to have a couple characters who like act like brothers almost. You know, like they're both doing this, they both approach things the same way, and it's just a kind of two of the same class essentially.
2: Well, as much as I want to be traveling with the cast of cats, that is just fabulous as far as ideas go. Um, I have been.
1: Thunder in... is a curious
2: cat. <laughs> Can we just go in the inn? You know. But like... well, I've been in several games where we had multiple all warriors, and what the problem I ran into there is, as a player and as a DM, it was all about who has the best initiative, who has the most hit points, who has the highest damage output. And it's like, what does anybody have, I don't know, a personality? Because that's what I want to see. Like, does anybody have some defining traits other than you can stab very quickly?
0: You know, it becomes... I think you still have to let the players decide that to some extent. Now, sometimes when I've had multiple Warriors in a party, what we've seen is they kind of... One tends to kind of go one way, one tends to go the other way. Like, one will become more defensive, and one will become more
1: offensive. I don't know. As, I mean... Well, Thor, didn't you have the what was was Tony running the game or you? Where you guys had the thing was in essence kind of the Warriors Three idea.
0: I was running that game, and that was yeah. a battle. That was a battle master and two warriors. And I'm gonna guess that Tony. Part of what Tony's saying here is that actually one of them might even have been a Paladin, to be honest. But they kind of all acted as a unit, and some of those characters didn't have a ton of character, although we do remember them as like the three kind of like basically army buddies, right? They were like they basically they felt like they
2: were like kind of like a like an army platoon kind of movie. (laughs) Now, I mean, I was in a campaign with a barbarian, a ranger, a paladin and everybody else was fighters. And the depth was maybe one was an Amazon and like the other one was a swashbuckler. And is so do always doing goofy shit, like cutting chandelier ropes. And I'm like,
1: oh, well, I'm going to claim ignorance then, because to tell you, the truth, I haven't actually run into it where I have a ton of overlapping people. So I can't say for certain, but I don't think I would. But I will I will uh, claim a level of ignorance. I'm not sure.
0: So so Tony, do you feel like the class defines what the character is going to be?
2: Is that I think kind of, it's like that's it kind just, of
0: part of like kind of unstated here?
2: Uh, I think specifically your class abilities kind of define how you're going to handle problems. So you've got a party right. with seven badass warriors. Well, what are they, they're going to do, they're going to kick the shit out of these guys. There's the bad guys. There they are. Are we going to try to talk to them? Maybe nope. deal with their allies? I would, out, Face punching. Or I'll, I'll say it, I would past. like to
1: see. I would love to see. How to challenge that, though, like someone who's creating a balance, right? And they have their formations and their strategies that they've built up. You know, that might be fun to tr- to to play with.
2: So I'll throw the throw mind flare at the berserking druid. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw this out there, too.
0: You know, we've talked a lot. Tony, you've talked a lot about Know Your Table. I think sometimes you also got to know what movie are you in. And the DM yeah. only has so much control over that, right? If it's three warriors, you're not doing, you know, you're at you're best if you bad. have charismatic warriors, you're getting the four musketeers, you know. At worst, you're just kind of getting, you know. Uh, um, I don't know, like, 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 uh, Centurion, or it's, it's, it's mm. effectively a war movie. Then, so I think they are gonna fight everything because that's what they came here to do, right? The, that is a whole party that came here to chew, to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and they're all well, out of bubble gum because it hasn't I been will, invented yet in this fantasy world.
1: Can I just say that it's probably not gonna be like Centurion or Platoon. It'll probably be more like, um, Tropic Thunder. But uh, that's just, uh, that's just the D and D. That just, that's what. <laughs> (laughs) happens that's
0: what happens i was trying to think of a good movie like that where they stay together
2: and fight
1: yeah Uh, yeah no but i'm just just the the jokiness of it right because it always turns into a bunch of silly gags yeah mine was
2: always the holy grail every freaking time
1: exactly exactly
2: does anybody feel that they run into issues with these large parties with distributing treasure and or gold because i do want to classify them separately
0: yeah i think i mean it's for for two reasons one you now have a larger group of players who need to negotiate and they're going to need to roll some dice amongst themselves and figure that out and two which ties back into the problem dave was talking about with combat balance you're now you know it's the problem with balance with a large party is you're every time you do something for everyone it's it, the, the number of the, the amount of it amplifies right It's exponential. like if you're giving out yeah, like if, if you're giving, now you're not just in, you know, if you have a party of five and you're giving everyone magic items, it's five magic items. Well, now you've got a party of seven and it's seven magic items. And that can add up, especially because, you know, it's like, okay, one of them got a wand of magic missiles. Later on, one of them gets a wand of fireballs. That's a lot of, of, of extra spells coming out your bad guys.
1: Yeah, that's a lot harder for your resource management to happen. I will say, <laughs> here you go, I'm just going to throw it out here. Uh, it's a problem if your players know better. All right, and what I mean by that is uh, a lot of my previous uh, games I've run and campaigns I've run, there was never a problem. And then playing like like with you guys and stuff, you're like, oh, where's this? This is, uh, Where's the magic items? Where's the, where's? The, where's the, I have <laughs> not complained about magic <laughs> items, you know. So it's more it's I, What I will say is I think some of that comes down to expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor, we ran into this with Woodstock. Uh, a player had an expectation as to how treasure happened in D&D from their their previous experience, but your game world is might be different, you know. So to to be able to uh, modulate that, um, and then you know, but if they if they have expectations as to what they should be getting, that absolutely could turn into a problem because now you got seven people going like. Bro, we just, like, crushed out, like, a platoon of hobgoblins. Where's the, you know, I want more than just their scimitars.
0: Player expectations are pretty much always problematic. Because no matter what you're trying to do, you can only wind up running afoul of them, right? But I will say it's another problem that gets amplified with more people at the table. Now you have seven sets of expectations or eight sets of expectations instead of four. So, you know, and it's a lot easier as you get, when it's four people, You're more, you're talking more, you're closer. It's a more intimate group. When it's eight people, it's more likely for that little bit of discontent to become a couple of players kind of off on the side complaining about it, which becomes, you know what it it,
1: is, you know, it's the difference between what you see in a band when they're playing in a club or a theater, and then seeing them at the link, Lincoln Financial Center for people not out of Philly. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) as I I just use our shorthand for it. it's a lot like that, and I remember just a real quick a story um, because I mean he's like the the he's the maestro of the stadiums. But Springsteen himself said making the jump from club to arena to uh, stadiums, he made very specific choices with those because he was worried about the distance to the audience and what he then has to do, the spectacle that then has to be created. And I think, though, what you're saying there is, is true with the d d session. The three- and four-player groups, right, just the, the your classic group, is that intimate club setting where it doesn't have to be the spectacle necessarily on the stage. It's just the talent of the songwriter up there and the band, and it's just rocking, where the stadium show has to be fucking lights, And fireworks and smoke and, you know, sliding across the stage and all this and those large groups, you almost have to become that you have to amp up the the performance side of it. Well, I think it's
0: that. And I think it's also, you know, the, the, the other thing I'm getting at is the politics become a bigger deal. You know, because an eight person group is not going to be as tight as a four person group. Mm. So you have to worry about like fractures. And, you know, if someone doesn't like the way something's going, they're more likely to get a couple of the others on their side and it maybe doesn't come back to you. Yeah. yeah you know, most
2: of my players can't agree on a pizza topping. So as far as like, he, <laughs> you know, like Thorne, I have to say I had a real oh, oh shit moment in your game uh, last week where you basically dropped half a dozen choices. And I'm like, well, here it is. We're no way we're going to be able to resolve this in a timely fashion.
0: <laughs> I dropped half a dozen choices. I called a break. Actually, I dropped more than half a dozen. I'm like, look, you tell me what you want to do. Here, here's your agency. All the agency you guys want. What adventure do you want to go on? I'm wide open here. Let's All do it. I'm
1: thinking is the, the one session in Slaver's Bay when you guys were deciding for about an hour or more uh, whether you're going to leave the basement or not. <laughs> half the party was outside and half were still talking in the basement. What do you At least we do the talking? question. <laughs> we're still doing a short rest. What's happening? Actually,
0: I thought the party handled that pretty well, but I did. You know, I and that's, I, we had a moment like that in the other game that kind of didn't go as well, I think. You know, I'm playing a wide-open game, so sometimes you got to lay out for players, look, you could do all these different things. You tell me which direction you want to go in. Yeah. And then I went and I ad lib the Vampire's Mansion, uh, which we're still working <laughs> on in the next session. So I'll get to prep a little more for the next session, but, yeah, it was like, all right, you can do this thing or this thing or this thing. And, oh, here's another thing. It just came into my head. You tell me which direction do you want to go in, which was very much, you know, there had been feedback that they felt like they'd been on, like they hadn't been given a lot of choices uh, with the no, world. I, saw- I wonder... And, and there had been it. choices that they weren't recognizing. So I mentioned in, I mentioned in my um, New Year's resolutions, I wanted to make sure I wanted to do more communication, better, so my players recognize the choices they have.
1: Yeah. Well, that's no, what No, I was. loved it. I loved it because it gave a ton of of possibility and agency and choice, and it opened up the world a lot more too. You know, because the only world we've seen for nine levels has been. The forest, forest, in a way, right? This just wild expanse. I would be stark raving
2: mad. Like i, so I to, be, able to be in. Chat,
1: yeah. yeah, to be in uh, in towns and different, you know, factions and political groups and stuff. That was really that was awesome, you know, because we hadn't really played into that yet with this group. So I'm excited to see where that goes.
0: So, you know, we'll get one tip related to that if you're going to DM that way. Um, if you're going to give the party, you know, Tony mentions what Tony mentions is absolutely true. If you're going to drop six or seven or more choices on the party, as far as what do they (laughs) want to do next, it's going to take them some time and it should take them some time to talk through their options. You want them to, you want them to be thinking about it. That means they're invested. And what I did is I threw it out there. I hung out for a little bit to answer questions and poke them and kind of see what they're actually wanting to go in. And then I left the room and I called a break and I went and I made a pot of coffee and told them to keep talking. I didn't. I didn't get a cup of coffee. I went. I put the water on boil. I ground the beans. I made a pot of coffee and then came back like ten minutes later and they're still discussing it. My and role I just play had that effect on
2: people. I mean. <laughs> uh, uh, uh.
0: I wanted that though. It's like, all right, you got you've all at your court, but as a party, you have to decide what you want to do. So here's your choices. And I hung out long enough to make sure they had the information they wanted. And then I left. And I let them talk it out. Yeah. I'm a big fan of leaving the table as a DM and letting the players talk amongst themselves to figure out what they want to do. Actually, one of my favorite tricks when you give players a lot of a lot of choices, leave the room. It doesn't even be for long, 10 minutes or so. Just let them talk. Let, let them think about it themselves without you kind of hovering over their
2: shoulders. I was very pleasantly surprised that didn't turn into like the scene from when they were trying to figure out how to destroy the ring. And they're like, <laughs> huh, let's hold a council. And I'm like, okay, let me set up my my hammock. <laughs> <Come
0: in." laughs> I'm listening. So, I mean, but are you satisfied with the outcome there, Tony?
2: Yeah, that um, I felt that we had a real discussion and we took a viable option, and we got some things accomplished. Dare I say, for
1: more top, time we moved to football. On top of that, too, because now you know the audience is aware that Tony has now come into the Woodstock Wanderers, right? So I've
0: we're I brought Erasmus back to Godanothwa. He doesn't know this has been part of Godanothwa's master plan. Yeah, the giant spaghetti monster's eternal quest to eat him.
1: <laughs> oh, t- now I know! I can defend against him. <laughs> so we've had we've had the two different campaigns that you were running in the same in your same world, and now the one character's over. But what that allowed was one for Tony's character Erasmus to have a level of intel, and also to kind of. A reason why he would be brought in now, because now he has these big info dumps that he can give that make a lot more sense, as opposed to we just all of a sudden show up in this kingdom and you have to explain everything to us. You know, no, now one of our players, one of our compatriots knows and they're letting us know what, you know, what's happening. So I thought that was a great way to bring him in uh past the christmas game which is just like oh you show up kind of thing right i mean that's easy to do in a one-off but in terms of bringing in for a possible sticking around for levels and levels you you gotta make it make sense and i thought that was a good way that that made sense well thank you
0: and i will say that's um whenever i bring a new player into a game like this especially one with a lot of kind of secrets that the party doesn't know about right i try to bring them in with information and part of the reason i do that and this does tie into the large group thing i would like the party to talk amongst themselves and and because that that gets people engaged right if they're just waiting for me to say things it all kind of just turns into the moderator telling the story i like having some members of the party having some information that they convey to others and if you just tell them at the session and they're like yeah you guys heard that right that doesn't do it backstory mm. or something that they're coming from another game i like having them talk to each other and have to really question each other to learn things because i think especially in a large party that draw that drives engagement that gets absolutely. seven or eight players to pay attention to each other and start working like a team
1: absolutely
0: doesn't always work actually last time i had a player come in it didn't that player didn't share anything and it didn't
2: work at all <laughs> so you know know hey. your know <laughs> What do you guys feel about, how do you feel about having new players in large
1: group situations? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one.
2: Well, like, do you mean, you know, on the one hand, I'm
0: always open to bring a player in. I'm not too worried about party dynamics in that way. Uh, I find, you know, new players often uh, help. Party dynamics. If a game's getting a little stagnant, having a new player come in that can be can actually help it come together. I mean, new
2: to the game, period. As in, like, hey, I've heard of this Dungeons and Dragons. What's this about?
0: Oh, so you're talking about having someone start off as a member of like an eight person party.
2: Yes. Like, say you're making a new campaign and you have a new one of your players or maybe a couple of your players in this large scenario and they've never played before at all.
0: Well, um, so to me there's uh there's a plus and a minus to this. On the one hand, they should have plenty of support learning the game, which I think is really good. They're going to get to see a lot of other players play, they're going to get a lot of help figuring out what to do. They're I usually players help each other in that situation. They don't boss each other around. They don't at least in my games like like that's how I want it to be, and that's usually what I see is you know players are usually pretty welcoming to the new player. On the flip side, uh, they can wind up, you know, they can wind up becoming wallflowers because they can come into the game with the attitude of, you know, this is everyone else's game and I'm just here to watch or I'm just here to to participate silently. So it can be hard to drive the interaction. Like, I don't mind doing it, but I just, those are the two sides of it. Like, they're going to get a lot of support and they're liable to learn the game faster, but they're also liable to get overshadowed a bit. Well,
1: you have to, I actually have a real, real world experience here specifically with this. Uh, so the, the Bonnie's families group that we run with over years now, and it's various formations and adventures and whatever, um, the same one I wrote the weird New Jersey, uh, Mm -hmm. adventure for, um, was exactly that where we started out and we were playing and there were some new players like Monty's mom. That was the first time she had ever played D and D first time her brother had ever played. Um, So they were coming in kind of learning the system. And then, you know, I had been playing a little while and all that. Um, And then they would continually, Hey, I want to play. Someone else would say, I want to play. And we would bring them in and bring them in and we would be, you know, seventh eighth level in and bringing somebody in but the group was open to that and they wanted everyone to join in and have fun so there wasn't a lot of uh you know well why aren't you doing this the right way or why aren't you doing it uh, the way i want you to it was much more helping them to learn how to play the game uh so it actually went quite well but that's also what led to having like eight and nine people at the table so that can also be a problem, too, where you're bringing people in and it turns a party of, you know, four or five into well, all of a sudden you got seven and eight at the table. You and that's where it start to get unruly.
2: If I had a choice between a table full, like, I mean, not my friends, but like when I could walk into a room and there is a room full of hardcore experienced gamers or a bunch of gamers who want to play and don't know jack about it. I think I take the newbies because that's that's the that is the soft pitch. Like if I had to, like you said, Tony, you're gaming it, you're running a game. Um, Sunday, I could be like, hey guys, there is a farm with some goblins. You know, clear it out because the mayor sent you, and they probably gonna have a good time. yeah Yeah, right and it's all new material to them versus these players that are like what about the politics of the land you know like throwing curveballs at you like that um as far as new players the tip i'll drop is give them a player buddy so part so basically partner them up with someone make them a squire
0: you come in as you're this night's squire there you go
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, if that works, but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, give give them a player buddy who can help them level up, pick their stuff, you know. Um. So do you find, I mean, so do you find it works to, what are your thoughts on bringing that new player in? What are the pros and cons there? Pro is, I mean, well, first of all, I like having, if we have a chance to add uh, another player to the table. It's a good experience. As long as it's not getting yeah. ridiculous and we're not at, like, Bruce Wayne's table and I'm shouting with a megaphone, you know, so everybody can hear what's going on. Bringing more people into the game is fantastic. Yeah, they're they're going to uh, need to get a handle on it, and that could require a little bit more attention, but that's okay. I, I mean – I think it's easier, honestly, for somebody brand new to learn the system and get the hang of it. than try to explain to them how this is different than second edition, because I'm be trying to teach them how to, like, you know, do acrobatics blindfolded and drunk.
1: (laughs) The only thing that I'm thinking of when we're talking about like bringing in a brand new player to an existing thing is the Key and Peele skit that they had where. He brings his cousin in, who's from the hood. And the guy doesn't know anything about Oh, I saw that. That was funny. But, oh, my God. It's so good. It's so funny. You got to find it just like Key and Peele d sketch. Just Google and I'm sure you'll find film, it. It was funny, too. It was phenomenal. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm thinking of right now. That's all that came to mind. All right. So,
0: you know, one of the things that we touched on earlier that we haven't quite gotten back to is this. Big games tend to slow down. They tend to bog down. Do you have any tricks you use to try to to keep them speeding along or or to speed them up at all, or at least to make it okay if they bog down?
2: Again, I have to come back to scene control. Have an idea what you would like to accomplish in your game, plus or minus X. Do yourself a favor. Don't get caught. Like, if you have a hard stop date time, excuse me, don't get caught mid-boss fight. Like, well... You know, the warlock's got to leave. You know, like, that, again, sucks the air out of the room.
0: What's more important to you there, though? Is
2: it giving everyone a chance to interact with the scene, or is it moving the scene along faster? I think you can do both. I've I've found, at least in the most current campaign that I've run, you can cut... See, I think the trick really is cut your worst material. So if I had an... There's times you guys never even realized, I had extra encounters... Oh, okay. You had a encounter with these guys. It was just a, it was a battle. Blech. Clear it. It's not there. That room's empty. You know, you you walk through that. Now I've saved you time. You got to spend more time interacting that one scene you liked, and you're still going to get to the end more or less on schedule. How about you, diff?
1: Yeah. I mean, if we're talking in terms of, because uh, I think you would have to probably break it out in between uh, combat, running too long, and uh, and getting too bogged down, and social interaction or or party talking uh going on too long combat don't throw out a massive battle every single time i mean not everything has to be the, the end of the world battle but you know if you're going to have one of those realize that you know budget your time in there because it's with a big party you're looking at an hour battle or longer generally longer Uh, It's just what happens. In terms of social interaction and, you know, kind of playing in the world and decision making, I'm out of the fence with that because you do want – there are times where I've seen um, where you can let that get bogged down and it just kind of marshmallows out into nothing is happening. But then at the same point, I kind of go back to someone who said that's not a problem with the game. That is the game. That's D is when people are talking and planning and doing all of this stuff amongst the party. So I'm not necessarily one to just move that right along forward. I, I like them to try to find where they want to what, like what you were doing with with the Woodstock. You said, yeah. here's all the stuff. Now go talk. You know, do, do you know, figure it out for yourselves. You know, and giving it that time to breathe. I find that works and
0: it works well with Woodstock and I think giving them time to talk is a different thing to me a little bit because if you're in a scene that's taking a while because the party's all talking to each other, then everyone's engaged. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's bogging down, even if time wise it's bogged right. down. But right. But something else that happened in that game where we kinda had a scene where, you know, some players were talking a lot and other players weren't talking at all and that bogged down. Yeah. That, to me, is a little is a little more where the rubber meets the road because that is a problem you run into with why do larger games bog down, in part because you tend to have one or two players who get very interested in something else, whether it's having with the shopkeep, which we've talked about, or maybe they want to go run a solo thieving mission, or maybe they're very interested in having this conversation and three other members in the party aren't. So like that, like, you know, it's easy when it's working, right? I mean, it's easy when the whole party's talking. Yeah, you let it go. It's harder when three members are talking, three members aren't talking, and now you've got to make the call between, okay, do I cut this here, and you know, move it on so, these, so everyone's having fun. And right. then like, how do you keep that? Because it's not just a matter of, do I cut it? It's a matter of, when do I draw the line between, here's the right time, this is too long. Well, I
2: think you still can have your cake and eat it, too. So, yeah. someone wants to ask somebody questions related indirectly to plot lines, You you try to find some clues, whatever. Okay, so they want to ask this this NPC some questions. Okay, ask some questions. Don't launch into a 17 minute dialogue with a nobody NPC while the other players are like, you know, now you know one's doing their laundry. But is that part of the game? Like that's kind
0: of really gets down to that question Dave was just talking about. That is the game. Well, it's the game for some people. For other people, it's boring. And for a larger table, I do think that's a real challenge to manage.
1: That was uh, that, a perfect example was in the Strahd game. I remember you specifically saying, Tony, that um, it was during one of the episodes we were talking about it. And I, it might have been because of Blinsky... Uh, I'm not sure. That no, was you, that one Raven person? I'm oh, like, come on, move it the, the, mom, <laughs> and, along. And you were like, this is a no one NPC, and everyone's talking to her and asking her all these questions and stuff. I'm like the like, first I'm the freak, I'm are I'm Raven? The her saw, right. How out of character would that be? Well, <laughs> to tell you the truth. That was actually it was it was actually on the flip side because she was someone who had information and was involved in the thing, and you know has now come forward again later on. Um, just despite me. Just because you said that. No, I mean, you know, she's actually you know someone that's in the in the adventure itself, but it's a perfect example because one person is reading it a certain way and others are not. So I guess it's a majority rules, right? in a way when it's a large party.
2: It is and <laughs> you can't yes, please that,
1: all people all the time.
2: That is certainly part of the game, but in the style game that you're running with uh, Ravenloft, where it is a official product, and they give you these maps and the town, and then everyone wants to go into every shop. Yes. And talk to every person. And I will it's let. Like, them. I mean, like, <laughs> just like, wow.
0: I will say the other thing to watch out for, and this happened in our last game was, players uh, in larger groups especially, because a smaller group this isn't a big deal. If a player goes on in their conversation, there's only two or three other players. That's not a problem. But we had a situation where one of the players would talk and kind of pause. He'd kind of get to the end of a paragraph and pause and then start talking again with another paragraph and pause and then repeat the first paragraph and reword it and pause. And I'm struggling with how do I, you know, I was trying to cut that off sometimes because I'm like, all right, this is, you know, you, you, you made the point. We have to move on. And I think that's important in a large game that, okay, everyone gets a chance to make their point but you got to make your point and move. And if you yeah. don't make your and if you try to kind of, if you keep kind of arguing the point and remaking the point, it starts crowding out other players time. And that's something I'm struggling with how to handle. Cause it comes up in one of the games in particular. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I love the role play, but let the, let the NPC respond, you know? Let, let some other people get some words in here.
2: That comes back to kind of how we talked about making sure everybody gets, you know, their screen time. So like, okay, so that person, you know, they, 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 fi- they finish what they're saying and then, okay, all right, so you're talking to this person. You could continue talking to this person. However, you know, Roderick, what what are you doing? I am glad on a side note that despite the fact that Roderick is the smooth talker, he has the high charisma, she shouldn't have to field every interaction with the environment scenario. It's not necessary.
1: No, and we and like I said, that's actually been something that has started to balance out a little more, I think, where other people are taking the lead when talking with certain uh certain people in the world. So so that's
0: a good thing. It's well, tricky, though. Cause this is also where we where, like we talked about before. Every now and then, if you don't have a high charisma and you get in on the conversation, you get asked to make a charisma check. I, I'm sneaky. I'm like, ah. It can go bad. It's said. too, right? It's, well, it's discouraging. <laughs> You That's know good. that that doesn't that kind of encourages pushing the high charisma characters out front. Although this is also a campaign with two high charisma characters. Yeah, there's a warlock too and he's perfectly good at talking and yeah. inquisitive in theory. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually mm-hmm. doesn't Bonnie doesn't um yeah have a high he's charisma she doesn't have, have to. Yeah, cuz she's a sorcerer warlock. So yeah. No, it's we got some fine. high charisma people, but Roderick is the bard and he's the poet and the this and the that. So it, you know, He's extra fake. And the he's way I, extra yeah, and the way I play him is that as well. So, you know, not an issue, you know. So when we need to be duplicitous and then uh negotiate, that's usually when I'm uh when I'm jumping forward. What about the technology issues?
2: You got eight people in Roll20, uh, Talk oh, about the rubber hitting the road. Well, yeah.
0: You know, Someone we have not had We have not had a Roll20 game work with more than I think five.
1: five, yeah, plus the DM.
0: Yeah, so six total players. Yeah. At that point, we have not had Roll20's technology work. Every time, we've had some kind of breakdown in the video chat technology uh, yeah. and, and the audio chat technology where someone can't hear or can't talk. And I've seen that even with games not involving our group. Like earlier this year, I started out in a Cthulhu game on Roll, that moved to Roll20. That didn't involve any of us. And we one of the players just couldn't interact with the Roll20 interface, and the DM you know, didn't want to move to Zoom. He just That player just dropped out. I think if you have a lot of players, you're going to be better off using another chat channel. I know a lot of people out there who do a lot of online gaming like discord. We have had more, you know, us, you know, we're probably a little more used to the business channels. We tend to use zoom or Skype, but using something, using something like that to handle your audio side seems to make things run a lot more smoothly on roll 20. The battle map seems to still work fine. I haven't had any problems with that with more players, but you Tony, what do you think of
2: it? Yeah, no, since the COVID's hit uh, the world, there's always somebody on every conference call anywhere who's muted. They can't hear you. They're too far away. Their their cameras in a ridiculous place. So they're looking you're looking at the top of their head. Uh, you know, they can't select their character on roll 20. I mean, it just the more people you bring in, the higher probability something is just going to shit the yeah. bed. Yeah. That's yeah. That's some yeah, that's a really good point. We found
0: solutions for all those things to various degrees. The, the, the technical hiccups with the Roll20 audio video, we mostly saw by moving to Zoom, although we did have a player who had a hard time even getting to Zoom, but we figured it out over time. Zoom, so long as someone can host the meeting, Zoom seems to be the most, I would say, technologically easy. To use, even though it has a client you gotta download, it just seems to work fairly efficiently. Skype has worked well too, but we haven't. We've really mostly done Zoom. The other thing for the other side, for like I can't control my character uh, or can't interface with the board, we solved that by having another character. So as a DM, you can go into Roll 20 and assign a token to be controlled by whoever you want. So we will have another player take control of that of that token and move that token for them. And as far as rolling goes, if they can't use the dice roller, we've allowed roll, you know roll, roll your own dice and just tell me the mm-hmm. result. No one's really. You know, we, we, we've allowed that carte blanche whenever anyone wants to use it. Although there is a little bit of a kind of a social push to come on, use the online dice roller. Let us all see it. It's, it's more peer pressure than it is a roll, though.
2: I mean, Thorne has uh, witnessed with me some player, you know, who will remain nameless. I mean, how many 20s did they air quotes in a row? Hmm. Well, hey, judging
0: from my, the, the way I can roll ones and roll 20, that was totally normal. Clearly, that was on the up and up. He wasn't re oh, oh, If I oh. judge his rolls by my rolls on roll 20, apparently they're both possible.
2: <laughs> Roll twenty loves to replicate rolls. Seven. Oh crap! I missed. Yeah. Seven. Oh, we talk about then? Roll Twenty so much. We are. I think we
0: need to try some of the other platforms at some point. I have not. <laughs> there's a lot else
1: out there. There's Forge. <laughs> there's, there's Boundary. Um, Fantasy Grounds.
0: D There's D and D Beyond. There is Alber Rodeo, which is supposed to be really good and light and and fast. Like it's just easy to hop in and out of. There's a lot of other tabletops out there. And, I don't know, it's one of these days, we got to, one of these games, we got to be like, look, guys, we're getting together on this one instead. But once you get your characters on one system, you tend no to stay. No way, dude. Right?
1: I've finally learned how to roll around Roll20. I'm, that's what I'm it. staying. I'm staying right there. In, another virtual tabletop again. No, I'm right in the right in the middle class. That's a fully blue collar in my virtual tabletop.
0: That's
1: an that, endorsement that's... from uh, the people at Roll20. <laughs>
0: That's how they get you, right? You you get in their ecosystem. They're different than Apple. We get you in your our, ecos- your, our ecosystem, and you don't want to leave. So, guys, we have been going on for a little bit here. You know, we've covered you know we covered the combat question in the beginning, as far as how do you balance your combats? Uh, the answer is you ignore your CR rating and go higher. Don't ignore it, but you go higher. Uh,
1: the answer to
2: <laughs> ignore it. Seven yeah, yeah,
1: ignore what you want to do? You want to play like you're doing a tip. You want to double it, okay? So whatever <laughs> level they're at, double the CR <laughs> and put several of them out there. I wouldn't double.
0: I would go up by like two or three, maybe fifty percent. I'm a more dangerous DM than Davis. I think we we'll all agree on that. I probably run the more dangerous combat.
2: <laughs> we're gonna get killed um, next week, and we looking at you sideways, like, ugh.
0: And the other thing we talked about was, you know, think about how do you engage all levels of the, of the party in an encounter. So, you know, break it up. Think of them in groups and kind of throw something out there for the for the front line to play with. Throw something out there for the back line to play with. Throw, th- throw something out there for your skulkers, for your rogues to deal with. It. Maybe something they, can, they might want to sneak up on or something. If you think about it in those terms, you know, you kind of break it down and can engage everyone at a smaller level. We talked about players getting lost and kind of the wallflower aspect of things and really kind of calling on everyone as a solution for that. We also talked about bogging down and how basically I guess our answer on bogging down is, you know, don't let anyone extremely slow things down. But at the same time, you're really going to answer it more by cutting your material, right? You cut your worst stuff and you just let them focus on the stuff they like. And if it bogs down, so long as no one's getting bored, that's fine. If someone's getting bored, well, wrap it up. You know, hit, hit the, 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 the the house the house lights blink and mo- wrap it up and move on.
1: I will say when I had a party of four go against a mimic for two hours they were super engaged. So, uh, you know, go with what engages people. Blade Everyone gets engaged there. and the
2: treasure bites back. Or tell about the dragon we fought for eight hours. Now, that was a battle. <laughs>
0: that was a green get dragon, right?
2: Have get a shower.
0: I mean, bring a way to deal with a flyer. Yep. Dragons fly. Think about that when you come out. <laughs> come up that's, with something.
2: That's a sage advice. So, beyond those, what are your final thoughts DMing large parties? You have to focus on your time management. I think that's your primary concern. You have to make sure everybody gets their screen time, that the battles aren't slogging, that everybody gets a chance to interact with the environment, that they have an opportunity to do their cool things and uh feel like they're part of the game.
1: Yeah. So you did. Um I don't know if I have anything to add to what we put out there. I will say the one thing, because the specifically the question had to do with they were running the starter set. So really focus in on they've already given you the encounters. That doesn't mean that you can't change some of those things. Like Thorin had said in his one encounter, the goblin that we were gonna run into all of a sudden metamorphosized into a hobgoblin. Oh my god. Ta-da! It doesn't matter. Between encounters, between encounters. Yeah, ramp them up. What iron column? Oh. So whatever the encounters are, if you feel like your party is mowing through them, then ramp it up a little bit. You can always overdo the encounter and then pull the dial back. It's oftentimes easier to pull the dial back uh, mid-encounter than it is to turn it up, because those numbers are already there, and you can't really ram them through the ceiling. But if they're there, you can definitely pull them down or have the people retreat if they... uh, if they're about to kill whatever, you know. Uh you, so you can overdo always do the dragon show up. That seems to yeah, you know yeah. I think but I mean boots, a lot of things up. Yeah, with some of the published stuff, like the encounters are there, you can you can absolutely ramp that up by just uh jamming up some of those monsters into the next class, maybe.
0: Or you can multiply them. That's the other thing yeah. in that
1: situation. Yeah. Like and you well, know uh, with some... a large party, that's when you start to run into those two hour combats is when you now have fourteen things on the board.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't want to have 14 things on the board. And that's, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about this until now, but and we probably should have given the nature of the question, but one <laughs> of the problems with the large parties is with the published, is with published adventures that they tend to be made for about four players. Yeah. So when you have more, you got to ramp them up. And then when you ramp them up, you can slow things down. And like Dave, like you said, kind of Jack, Jack, a couple of the bigger monsters up, or maybe sometimes the best thing to do was just take whatever the biggest thing is in the fight and double it. You um, know, if they were fighting, if they were fighting like, um, you know, one ogre and a bunch of orcs. Well, maybe you throw a second ogre in there. You know, adding to the big stuff tends to be more efficient than adding a bunch of little stuff because the big stuff tends to get just one turn.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I was see? hoping you you're going to say I should create like, you know, instead of a fire giant, I have a super fire giant. He would be like a CR 17. Now, and be he fantastic. can fly.
0: <laughs> if you have <laughs> really? one in the book, go for it. You know, if you can just up jump something by kind of replacing it with something tougher. But the point, I mean, and, and and all jokes aside, the point there is. You want to increase difficulty without increasing total number of turns, because total number of turns and total number of targets can bog things down. So that's really, you know, you want to, if you're going to start adding, don't just double the 10 minions that were already out there, double the boss, you know, add two mm-hmm. bosses. So they got, that, that's the best way to kind of scale up because you're not adding a ton of new turns to the to the order then. Yes. So. All right, so for my final thoughts, and I'm actually glad, Dave, really glad you brought that up because we should have, that was definitely something I wanted to make sure we covered in this episode. I've deemed a lot of big party games, and I think the biggest thing is calling everybody, trying to get everyone to contribute, and, you know, trying to move things along. You might not be able to cut off a player in the middle of one action or one conversation, but where you could run into trouble is if you introduce multiple things in a row where one or two players are the ones dominating it and no one else is getting involved. So, you know, before you move on to the next lock for the rogue to pick, maybe ask someone else what they're doing. You know, before you move on to the next conversation the bard's going to dominate, give, you know, ask the fighter what he has, right? Or let the fighter tell you how he plans to approach this this encounter. Get someone else, you know, like give everyone try to give everyone their turn to shine and try to as we talked about a couple of times Dave and Tony both brought up, occasionally you want to even handle a social encounter in effectively initiative order. Go around the table make sure everyone gets to say their thing before you move on to the next turn. Because that will let you keep everyone engaged. And the other thing is, you know, try to play quickly. Even when I have a lot of monsters on the board, I try to move my monsters quickly. Like, even if I have 25 minions on the board, I move them in groups, you know. Group initiative keeps things faster than individual initiative on the monster side. You know, I might have 20 monsters on the board. I won't have more than three initiative groups. I try to move the initiative groups as quickly as I can. I try to roll dice. If I have five minions attacking someone, I will just roll five d20s and tell them what happened. Anything you can do to crunch your side of it down is going to speed things up and keep your game going better. So that's it for me. Guys, you know we're we're a small band here, but we have a large band in our games and in our listeners. Uh, thanks a lot for for coming together for another episode.
2: Absolutely, that's good stuff. Um, with the new year, we have a new logo. I wanted to plug our the artist who did it. Uh, go visit the relentless artist on Instagram. Uh, she did a fantastic job.
0: Absolutely. Yes. So everyone, thanks again for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. Once again, if you want to catch more of our content, make sure you check out threewisedms.com You're going to find an article there every Wednesday. So roughly twice as much content on the website as if you're just going to your podcast platform. If you are listening to us in a podcast platform, please smash that five star uh, rating, five star rating button. Leave us a good review. If you don't like what we're doing, let us know that personally. Don't put it in the review. We, the five-star <laughs> reviews will really push us forward, but we will be happy to hear any feedback you have. If you do want to give us feedback, you can drop us a line at 3 gmail.com. Uh, on our website in the What's Your Problem field, which is really for collecting potential episode ideas. So if you have something you want us to talk about, either one of those channels is great. Email or put it in the What's Your Problem field. And we interact a lot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So check us out there. Come by, see see what we're talking about there. Leave us a comment. And, you know, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on 3 Wise DMs.